You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big Ben Sports. You heard the man, Matt Lars. Good to have Justin Jones back in the house. Uh, small, maybe not so small, medical injury yesterday. Let's start the show with you real quick because we got breaking news. But, Justin, are you okay? I'm doing just fine. You know, we take take the lumps and bumps as they come and, and keep going. Can you, you separate you, the shoulders? Can you, is it okay to just tell everybody the nature yeah, of your what, injury? What, what happened? Yeah, so um, basically my uh, my family, we took in a, a rescue dog. It's a, a German Shepherd with three legs. His name's Lieutenant Dan. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's he's very sweet, but he doesn't get along very well with other dogs. So um, I had to break up a little uh, scuffle there, um, and ended up just hurting, dislocating my shoulder in the process. Both the dogs are fine though, and are are separated now. But yeah, a bit of wrestling out in the in the Jones backyard yesterday. <laughs> well, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> I remember right when I moved to Alabama, uh, and, uh, got a house and, uh, my next door neighbor had a three-legged dog and I was like, this is my welcome to Alabama moment. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I'm glad you're, glad you're back in the saddle, Justin, and, uh, and, uh, back at, at the controls and, and Matt, you mentioned that there's, uh, some breaking news and it, it's coming out of, uh, Las Vegas. Uh, where Henry Ruggs, uh, just about, uh, about, I don't know, half hour ago or so, he was sentenced, uh, in, uh, the, uh, 2021 drunk driving crash that, that killed, uh, a woman and her dog. And he was sentenced to three to ten years in prison. And, uh, this means that Henry could be eligible for parole in three years. Um, which it, it seems like a very light sentence. And, uh, again, there were some, some legal issues, uh, that, uh, just how the arrest was made that, uh, I think it, it made the, the, uh, the final judgment here or the plea deal, uh, happen. And, uh, it was the first time that, that Ruggs, uh, was, uh, able to address the family of, uh, of Tina Tintor and uh he just he said to the parents and family of Miss Tintor I sincerely apologize for the pain and suffering and um and and, and again it's just it's such a sad story and we we learned a little bit more about Miss Tintor and her background and that she came to the United States as a toddler and and was the anchor of a family that uh, escaped from Serbia, which at the time was undergoing a, a civil war, and uh, she helped her father uh, navigate uh, different language barriers uh, here in the United States because he didn't speak English. She babysat her nephew. She would pick up. Uh, and even that the morning that she died, she was scheduled to pick up her dad from work. And, uh, it's just a, a very sad, sad story. And, um, and, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why the judge didn't uh, insist on Henry not being eligible for parole to 10, the, for the, in, in 10 years is, uh, he got, uh, the judge received 
a lot of uh, testimonial letters of support, including from, uh, t- from teachers and staff uh, at the high school he went to in Montgomery, Robert E. Lehigh, and also uh, from Mike Loxley, who, uh, who, who coached Ruggs at Alabama and is now the head coach at Maryland. And we don't need to rehash the, the details of the crash. We all, we all know just uh, how violent and, and horrifying it was and, and the excessive speed that Henry was going. But uh, is there anything about uh, what transpired in, um, in the courtroom just uh, in, in Clark County uh, in Nevada, Matt, uh, transpired about 45 minutes ago? Does anything surprise you? Uh, I, I'm surprised that uh, I can't figure out, and you may have just said this, and I just couldn't uh, comprehend it. Yesterday, we knew it was going to be 3 to 10. Today, they say it's 3 to 10. Did they say they're going to max it at 10, or is it still 3 to 10? That just wasn't clear to me. It, 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 it is 3 to 10. But he is eligible for parole in three years if he does all the right things in prison, and then he'll uh, he'll be up for parole in three, and you know then it'll be up to to Henry to convince the parole board to offer him a, a chance uh, to be granted parole. Um, okay. You know, I, I was I was thinking about. Um, and I, I know football is completely inconsequential at this point, but you know there is a precedent of a football player in the NFL uh, being in a similar type of situation, and that was uh, Leonard, Leonard Little. Yeah, Leonard yeah. Little, exactly. Um, he uh, killed a woman in a drunk driving accident in 1998. Uh, pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter. But he eventually, uh, you know, he came back from that and played with the Rams, uh, becoming a Pro Bowl player in 2003. He was a named first team All Pro, um, and so I, 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 don't, I don't know what the future holds for for Henry. I, I think that the circumstances of this are a little bit different, uh, given the excessive rate of speed that uh that Henry Ruggs was traveling at um but nonetheless you, you know i i don't think the door is completely closed on the possibility i i thought it would be yesterday but then the more i i the more i uh went back and and looked at the case of Leonard Little and I know that that was almost a completely different era, right? I, and I'm not sure that Roger yeah. Goodell would ever let Henry Ruggs back into the NFL. I'm guessing probably not. But uh, there is precedent for a, a player uh, who has been in a similar situation uh, to uh, play again. But again, all of that is really uh, far, far, far uh, in the background. And, and what's important is uh, is is to think about the, the victim, and also, you know, the, the victim's family had a chance to speak. And I think that's a real important part of uh, just uh, the, the whole process that, that 
for their their own grieving. And I think in a sense, even for Henry to hear uh, the victim's family speak, I, I think uh, that was uh, it was going to have a powerful impact on him. So, um, and I'll just say, you know, I, I didn't have much interaction with Henry when he was at Alabama. Uh, a little bit, we talked a few times, and just very uh, soft-spoken, uh, polite uh, young man. And um, you know, he really just had everything uh, right out in front of him. Just a, a limitless future, just filled with with possibility. And uh, boy, that uh, a couple bad decisions that night uh, derailed that, Matt. Really did. And everything you hear from teammates, including the Miller's edge, Christian Miller, very fond of this guy. He had a rough, tough childhood. Isn't that right? And uh, had done all of these things to correct himself and was headed to superstar in the National Football League with the Raiders. And then he just made a horrific, deadly decision. The 3 to 10 still confuses me a little bit, but it also tells me a lot about what happened at the scene. It appears to me, Lars, that the police and those that investigated dropped the ball yes. uh, with the reading of rights and, and maybe at several other corners as well. Uh, otherwise, uh, Henry Ruggs would be doing a lot more time. That's why the judge and both sides of this issue decided to go ahead and take the plea of 3 to 10. To be eligible for parole in three years, man, I don't know how this is going to come off of just lose Alabama. It seems light. Yes. Yeah, it, 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 it is light. It is light. And, and I believe it had, it had something to do with probable cause of drawing the blood of to measure uh, Henry's BAC, his blood alcohol content level. And, and, and that it has to go. It goes. Then that goes back to the scene. Of, uh, of of whether or not the police officers, you know, uh, gathered the evidence to essentially like to, to gather the evidence to rise to the level of probable cause to draw uh, the blood from uh, Henry. But um, yeah, it, it's a comp- complicated case. But yes, he he, he uh, sort of got off on a technicality there, and um, you know. But still, uh, three years, uh, and it could be longer. I mean, you know, the parole board, yeah. so it's going to be up to their discretion. He may serve the full 10. It, it's sort of, uh, I think it's kind of up to Henry of how he conducts himself these next three years and, and what he can do to, to give back somehow. And uh, I'm sure there will be avenues for him to do that in prison. Uh, no question about that. And from everything I've known and all the people I've talked to, he's just the kind of guy that's going to do that. And having said what I said about being too light, I am, sir, I'm not passing judgment. That's for those to do in the legal system and for the good man upstairs. So, uh, I hate it for all parties concerned, but I do think that uh, the way the situation was handled at the scene and then what happened immediately after that led to this plea deal where he could possibly be out of prison in three years. All right. Yeah, uh, and, and just yeah. one one more note, Matt. I mean, you know, he Henry's he's only 24 years old, and so it's possible that he'd be out when he's 27. And uh, you know, it's a young enough to play six seven more years in the NFL. Yeah, or if the USFL's around, I mean, who who knows? Yeah. I, I just. I, I don't think the door is necessarily shut 
on his on his football career. Uh, nor do I. And maybe he gets back to the NFL or starts making some money and can offer some restitution, although money can never replace a life. Boy, uh, Greg Tank on Fine Bob yesterday lit it up. I want to see what Lars has to think and what you folks have to think about what he said moving forward with the SEC. Standing pat? Looks like they are. Bottom of the hour, Gary Hollingsworth, former Alabama quarterback, will join us on Big News Sports. Presented by Haiti Sensing, Eating Home Mortgage. Owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. The chance of showers and a few strong thunderstorms through tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 76. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible by afternoon. The high, 92. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 86 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Sports, Matt Coulter. Glad to have Justin Jones back. And, of course, my partner, co-host, the one and only Lars Anderson. Well, Greg Sankey took the mic and appeared on Paul Feinbaum's show yesterday on the SEC Network slash ESPN. And i got to tell you, I, I was a little surprised at how emphatic he was on having a pat hand. Uh, some of the – I'm just going to read some of the quotes here that popped up on me, Lars, and then let's discuss. Uh, he says he currently has a very strong alignment. I would agree. Says there he's not reaching. So, and uh, not searching, not looking for anybody right now. Um, he said the directional growth is problematic. And it's bothered me too. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, he said that the money should follow, not lead. Most people don't see it that way um and then the one i really like and it gets back to gets back to the directional is a we don't need to be in four time zones <laughs> Boom. yeah you, you don't you know what you don't hear greg sankey throwing shade at the big 10 very often but he uh he let loose and uh just, uh, you know, saying that, uh, that obviously he doesn't agree with what the Big Ten is doing. And he doesn't care. He said, we don't need to be in these time zones to generate interest on the West Coast or across, across the globe. Um, but, uh, you, you know what though? The SEC is second in TV money right now. And there's a reason for that. Um, but we'll see what the SEC's next TV deal will look like. But, um, you know, and he also remarked about whether or not if the college football playoff had expanded earlier and there had been uh, more uh, 
I don't know, uh, just more, just everyone being on board and everyone knew the path that we were going down with the expansion of 12 teams and how they're chosen and, and how this would give access to more conferences and more teams to win a national championship, to participate in the playoffs, if that would have sort of alleviated concerns about the future and about uh, about just how things were, would shake out. But uh, to me, again, this is all about TV money. And, uh, and the reason that the Pac-12 disintegrated, I think it, it's pretty obvious. It's the, it, it's, it's the fact that um, uh, their commissioner didn't cut a deal with Fox when he had a chance. He waited, waited. Eventually, Fox pulled the the deal, the offer, and all other offers from sort of traditional out media outlets, and and they were forced to go to the Apple streaming model, uh, where it's it was risky, and it was uh, at least in the first year or two, uh, it was going to generate far less revenue than what uh, the pack or what the Big Ten and the SEC were. And Oregon and Washington saw that and they're like, Hey, we got a chance to go to the Big Ten. Let's go. And, uh, and they did follow the money. They, and, and, and in a way, like the money led them there. And so, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I was just, I was surprised that, uh, that it, it appears that the SEC is not interested in expansion. So what does that mean for Florida State? I still think there's a chance that the Big Ten is sort of laying in the weeds here and or they're going to go after Florida State and North Carolina. I really I, I think that that might be a play that could happen before August 15th. And, and that's something to really watch for. And the Big Ten, they may not. I think it's possible as well that uh, or excuse me, that the ACC, they're still considering. Uh, Stanford and Cal, and I, I think that's probably where they are going to end up. But um, I don't know. Uh, what uh, to you, Matt? What was your reaction to Greg's um, extensive interview on on Paul Feinbaum yesterday? First of all, I, I loved it, and I love what he said, and I love him putting it down. I love I love the fact that he threw inside on the Big Ten. But is he let's just be point blank here is he avoiding or postponing what seems to be the inevitable if the big 10 continues to grow what are they at 18 now yeah uh, they could easily get to 20 um is the sec and sankey and company and member institutions may not want to grow my question is lars in order to keep up does the sec have to grow I, I think the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Chip Kelly, the head coach at uh, UCLA, he said something that makes so much sense, and I can't believe it came from Chip Kelly. <laughs> but yesterday he said, look, Notre Dame is an independent in football, but they're in a conference for everything else which is true. They're in the ACC, right? Uh, and and he, his point, and uh, my dog Charlotte definitely agrees with this, he was saying, why aren't we all independent in football? And he said, take the 64 teams in Power 5 and make that one division. Take the 64 teams in the Group of 5, make that another division. We play for a championship. 
they play for a championship and no one else gets affected. What do you think of that? I mean, I just, uh, I, I was just like, that, that makes a lot of sense to me because these recent moves are all about football and not about the other sports. I mean, why? We're, so we're having these non-revenue sports that are going to have to travel across the country, right? And that's going to have an impact on athletes. And uh, and it, it's, uh, it, it, I, I'm sorry, Chip Kelly. I, 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 I've never been a huge fan of Chip Kelly uh, for various reasons, but uh, I, I think he is. He's on to something here. Well. Uh, I don't think he's the first to point out the, the flaws in, in what's happening to the other sports. But, do, you know, as much revenue as football brings in, uh, how, how do you put this uh, uh, politely? Kind of the heck with the rest of them, you know? And I said this yesterday, and the more I think about the Pac-12 literally falling off into the Pacific Ocean, the, the more upset I am. I hate this. You remember when I was a little kid watching UCLA and, and that UCLA, UCLA and USC can still play. But do you, you remember the brilliant colors and, mm-hmm. and you know, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. I guess the heck with it. They're gone. And yeah. I was saying a minute ago, what I was talking about with the Pac-12 is, man, there's basketball, basketball, basketball history in the Pac-12 and now that's gone. So yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, Matt, you know that I, I've been working on a long project with Ryan Leaf, and uh, Ryan, as you know, played football at Washington State, and he's really upset because the Washington State, Washington, it's called the Apple Cup. I think people in in the South may not understand how important that rivalry is. I mean, to, to the people in the state of Washington, that is every bit as intense and as vital as the Iron Bowl, you know? And I mean, imagine, imagine if the Iron Bowl went away. I mean, that's how people in Washington and, and, you know, and they're big time college football fans. Washington has won a national championship. Washington just a couple of years ago was in the college football playoffs. I mean, Washington is traditionally a very good team. It's a, it's a solid program and Washington state too. You know, they, they've had their moments over the years, uh, notably with Ryan Leaf taking them to the Rose Bowl and nearly upsetting Michigan, uh, back in 1994. But, Mike Leach did, you know? and then Mike Leach, uh, yes, and um, so I, I I know that some it, people are all over the map about how they feel about rivalries and how important they are. And I really I think they're incredibly important, and they are part of what makes college football so unique, so special. And uh, you know, I hated it when. Uh, Nebraska quit playing Oklahoma every year. That was the game that if you, uh, you know, were having a bad season and, and in Nebraska and Oklahoma played uh, on that Friday after Thanksgiving every year, if Nebraska would win, it wouldn't matter, right? Even though Oklahoma had Nebraska's number forever and sooner magic and all that. But, uh, I digress. I, I just, uh, I hate that we're losing these, these rivalries that have existed in some cases for a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, it's, what are we doing? 
I don't know, but I, I, I think it's inevitable. And while Sankey says we need to follow the money, and and I I agree totally in principle with what he's saying, <clears throat> but the bottom line is is the Benjamins. Yes. Hey, we're gonna have a lot of fun in just a couple of minutes. Gary Hollingsworth, former Alabama quarterback and probably could have been a stand-up comedian if he wanted to, is going to join us in just a couple of minutes on Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Man mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home 2 Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and 5 private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Down to the plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, Smart, Matt, and Justin. And we're joined now by Gary Hollingsworth, former Alabama quarterback and heck of a nice guy. Gary, it's Matt. I don't know when the last time we talked, but it's been too darn long. How are you, man? Doing great. How are you guys today? Uh, fantastic. What are you doing now? I live in Coleman. Um, been there for 30 years. And uh, I work for Clayton Holmes and been with them for probably 27 of those 30 years. So uh, doing good, though. Got uh, two kids that's graduated college. And, wow. Uh, we're, me, and, me and my wife, Sharon, are kind of empty nesters and enjoying that time for life. Do you ever go bowling and go to the Village Tavern? I'm sorry. We don't need to talk about that. There's a little bowling alley place over there right off 65 that I meet my buddies at about once every two months. And I'm not going to drag you into that. Hey, Gary, uh, you were in a similar situation when you were at the University of Alabama where there were several quarterbacks vying for the starting job. Does this remind you what's going on right now in any way, shape, form, or fashion of what you went through? Uh, I would say just the fact that, yes, there's a bunch of really good athletes there. There's a bunch of really good players there. You know, at one time, I guess in our quarterback room was Mike Shula, Vince Sutton, David Smith, uh, Gene Newberry, uh, Jeff Dunn, Billy Ray, and myself were was all in that room at one time. And most of those guys, except for myself, were four- and five-star guys. So... Uh, yes, I mean, it, it is. And, but to me, the competition side of that is really what makes everybody better, uh, because you are, you are trying to achieve and become that number one guy. 
Hey, Gary, it's Lars Anderson here. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Can you uh, just describe to us what it's like being the starting quarterback at Alabama and the pressure that goes along with that? And were you, was there a moment when you realized that your life had changed when you became the starting quarterback? Uh, I'll say this. During my recruiting with Coach Perkins, you know, he said there there's going to be pressure. You know, he said there's there's probably three people in the state known better than the starting quarterback at Alabama, the starting quarterback at Auburn. That's your governor and the head coaches at Auburn and Alabama. And then your quarterbacks are probably four and five. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you're going to get when, when we win, you'll get more credit than you deserve. And when we lose, you'll get more blame than you deserve. He said, and if you can't handle that, you probably need to go somewhere else. And that's kind of goes with the territory of it. I mean, it is. Uh, but for me, I mean, I, I tried to prepare uh, the best I could to play, and, and nobody could put any more pressure on me than I put on myself. So as, as long as I was prepared and did everything I could prepare and be ready for that, the, the pressure didn't bother me as much because we had so much pressure really during practice, especially with Homer Smith, in trying to be perfect in practice. And then once you got to the game, I mean, the game was really the easy part. That was the fun part. Uh, and so it, it, it worked out really good for us uh, and, and kind of some of those teams we had there. And, and how was that uh, transition going from Coach Perkins, uh, who recruited you, to uh, Gene Stallings? Yeah, well, he had three years of Bill Curry in the middle of that. So yes, yeah. <laughs> it was. I was I was there a fall with Coach Perkins, and then he leaves and goes to Tampa Bay, and then uh, Coach Curry comes in for three years, and then uh, you know that was the first time I started. I guess was Coach Curry's final year and so then he leaves and goes to Kentucky and then Coach Stallings comes in uh, his first year being my last year so uh, you know going through here I was getting recruited and here's a guy kind of handpicked by Coach Bryant really Coach Perkins and hey you know he'll be there my full time and then by the time I graduate and leave I've had three head coaches and I think four offensive coordinators in five years. Uh, So, yeah, it it was a little bit of a transition, but each one of those guys was a little bit different uh, in kind of how they led the team, coached the team, and and things they demanded and that kind of stuff. I mean, which obviously were always successful at at different stages, Uh, but they were three totally different personalities, though. No kidding. Uh, But there had to be... Unbelievable adjustments offensively, especially when you went to the free wheeling offense that Homer Smith had in '89, which was just unbelievable. You were all SEC and just put up staggering numbers. And then you get Gene Stallings, who's just a run guy and plays back to his defense. I mean, did you have to go from like overdrive to second gear? Well, it was. I, I, I think it was really a, a mindset deal, you know. So I think we led. I'm not mistaken. I think we led the SEC in scoring in 1989, mm-hmm. and then we come in for our, I guess our first meetings with 
first offensive meetings with Coach Stallings. And our offensive team goal was score 17 points. That was it. And because because we were going to do things, and, and listen, it was all percentages. I mean, obviously coming from the NFL, it, it was all percentages and data and analytics, even back then. Uh, but now listen, we, we had a great defense, you know, in, in 1990. And, uh, but, but it was, it, it went from me in 1989 to changing something of an audible, whether it be the blocking, the whole play or something, probably close to 70% of the time to we hardly all of it at all in 1990. Uh, and again, it, it was simply a mindset that, that we're going to, 1989, we're, we're going to find the weakness of a defense because I don't care what defense it is. You've got little bubbles and spaces and uh, there, there's weaknesses in each one of those. And really under Coach Smith, we kind of had the flexibility to find that. And then under Coach Stallings, it was more of, we're going to dictate what they do. They're not going to dictate what we do. And again, it's a mindset. And and you play defense and special teams. And I mean, there's a guy down there right now that's won a bunch of ball games, playing really good defense and special teams. <laughs> uh, so obviously, it works uh, both ways. Is there one particular game, one moment that really sticks out to you uh, as your your time uh, at Alabama that uh, just remains incredibly vivid in your mind? Um, I mean, obviously beating Auburn uh, our senior year was a big one for us in our class because we had, we had not beat them in the previous four years leading up to that. And you know, we'd, we'd played the 89 was the first time we'd went to Auburn and being able to play in that game and the excitement of that game. And then, but to finally be able to beat those guys obviously was a huge deal because, because you didn't want to be marked with that class as a class that went through your four or five years and never beat Auburn. Right. Um, so, so that was a big one, obviously. And then, um, I guess my junior year playing Tennessee in Birmingham. I think we were both undefeated, uh, ranked probably in the top 10, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember right. And uh, it was a 40-something to 30-something game, I think. Uh, but again, had had success, and, you know, it was, it was one of those deals that was a big buildup just because we were two top 10 teams at the time. So, yeah, that, that'd probably Smith be... Stacey went crazy in that game, thanks to you. Oh, he did. And then, well, then he, Roger Schultz was on a show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the old Miss game where did y'all five, fall behind like twenty-one to nothing, and then hang fifty-five well, on them? Very, very true. That was uh, that was in Jackson. That was that was our yeah. junior year as well. Yeah, we, we get behind. I think you're right. I think it was twenty-one to nothing, and and again, classic Homer Smith. As you go back and get on the headphones, and he's like, Gary, this is a quarterback's dream. I'm like, Coach, I'm not sure what you're looking at, but it's a nightmare to me right now. <laughs> and But he said, no, we're going to start throwing it. So, guys, we're seven, I think it was seven, eight minutes into the ball game, and we go no huddle. Uh, and we start throwing it everywhere. I mean, we, we went we, – we put our two-minute offense in in the first quarter. And because back then, those guys blitzed a lot. They changed out packages and – 
rotated people in and out, but, but by us going two minutes, they didn't have an opportunity to do that. And they kind of had to keep their standard package and personnel in. And that gave us a chance to exploit some of that, whether it be, you know, Saran or Kevin Turner, Lamont, Marco Battle, Craig Sanderson, Prince Wembley. I mean, Murray Hill, all those guys had big games that day. Because, again, we were basically going against standard packages and, and not their specialty packages they would try to put in, whether it be nickel, dime, whatever it was back then. Uh, Gary, there is so much turmoil in college football, in college sports in general, but really in college football right now. Um, and let's just start with name, image, and likeness. Uh, do you like the fact that, uh, that players now can profit from their name, image, and likeness, but, uh, it's, uh, certainly appears that uh, it's gotten a little out of control and we almost have free agency where players are going where they're being guaranteed almost the, the most money. Um, just your thoughts on just that particular aspect of what's going on in college football right now. Uh, I, I do like the fact that the players are able to be compensated uh, because at the end of the day, yes, I mean, I mean, there's an education you receive, but at the same time, there, there's a lot of commitment from the athlete standpoint that, that they're contributing. Uh, and, you know, I guess my biggest thing is, is maybe you receive that once you become maybe a starter, you start playing, but to use it as a recruiting tool, which appears to be what people are doing, uh, I think that's the damaging part to me. And then now all of a sudden it's not necessarily loyalty to school. You're not going to school because that's where you grew up wanting to go. Some of that kind of stuff. Uh, but but you're basically being auctioned off, so to speak. And no, I don't I don't like that. Uh, and I think you see, I, I think it teach, teaches bad life lessons, right? Because um, to me, it's well the first time all right, you're a four or five star, whatever it is, you go in and and you don't play your first year. And, you know, now you've got all this money. They start getting scared they're going to lose part of their money if they're not playing or whatever. And, well, I'm going to transfer schools. And so now you've got, whether it be in Alabama, Clemson, Auburn, whoever it is, you're having to recruit those guys almost every year to try to keep them. And I, I think down the road in life, well, guess what? Maybe you get a new job and, hey, man, it's hard. Well, I'm just going to quit. Or, hey, I, I get in a marriage. Hey, it's hard. Some will quit. And to me, that that's the part I don't like is the transfer stuff, the NIL. I just think it teaches bad life lessons. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, kind of the sticking to it, you know, having a little bit of grit, wanting to maybe fight for what you want and some of that kind of stuff. I feel we're losing some of that. Uh, and, and that's not all in part to the NIL and transfer portal. Uh, but I do think that does have something to do with it, though. Hey, what are your thoughts on expanding in the SEC? When you were at uh, Alabama, were there just 12 teams? Oh, I think we had like eight. I, I don't even think it was 10. 12. It might have been 10. Uh, I don't think Arkansas and South Carolina had been added when you were there, right? They, they had not. Missouri had okay. not been added. Uh, yeah. See, I think it was... Eight tenths, I forget what the exact number was, but no, it, it, it was nowhere near what it is today. Uh, 
And, and, and really, I mean, to me, I, I get it. Uh, you know, it's about the money and it's about TV contracts and all that. I get that. Uh, but to me, taking apart or tearing apart some of those traditional rivalries, to me, is what makes college football fun as well. Um, you know, losing some of those, yeah, I mean, I guess you'll create some others. But at the same time, I mean, it's, you know, to, to me, the, the universities are almost doing what some of these kids are with NIO money. I mean, I mean, they're, these universities are chasing the money. They're, they're chasing it. And so, um, I mean, it, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, it's a business. I get that. Um, but to me, sometimes it's not the prettiest thing. And you should kind of start thinking about, to me, the athlete that, that's got to travel in sports, let's say that plays during the week, right? So you mean tell me you're going to jump on a commercial flight and you're going to go from the East Coast to the West Coast to go play a Tuesday or Wednesday night game, then you're going to expect to be back in class the next day. Uh, I think that's going to be hard. Uh, I think it'll be easier for football because obviously you play just on weekends, but I think still from, from the athlete standpoint, the academic side, I think that could be challenging to to expect that guy or girl to get up and be in class that next day when you get back in at three or four in the morning and you try to make that eight o'clock class. But I'm I'm sure they've thought about all that and they're a whole lot smarter than I am, but I'm just saying I, I could see it having challenges, let's put it that way. Do you wish that uh, there was a college football playoff system when you were playing? Uh, I do. I mean, I think, I mean, I mean, most of the sports, right, there's a playoff. I mean, it's it's in uh, your other divisions. There's football playoffs and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, because really you, you lose a game. It, it kind of depends on when you lose that game, traditionally is what it's done, right? You lose early in the season, you got a chance to get your way back up. But if you lose later in the season, it was always, hey, you get knocked out, you're done. But you could still be one of the better teams in the country. You just have to lose late. Um, so, but I, I do think they'll get there eventually uh, because I think there's too much money not to get there. Yeah. And again, I, I know I'm going back to money, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but, but it does give a, a team a chance that maybe loses late. That's one of the better teams still get in and play for it. So. Oh, Gary, a uh, couple of questions just away from it uh, as we wrap this up. You work for Clayton Holmes. Have you ever met Warren Buffett? No, I have not. I've, uh, I've been out to, we actually took a, took a little tiny house out to, uh, the Berkshire meetings one time and he, we were there getting it set up he actually came in the day later for the meetings uh, but I have not met him though uh, but no he, he does a bunch of messages and that kind of stuff to us and, uh, through emails and stuff but I have not met him yet who once said in reference to Gary Hollingsworth I'm his favorite but oh Roger Schultz there's no doubt <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. Uh, you know, we used to call Roger a quote a minute, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, after after we beat Tennessee up there, let's say it'd been my senior year, beat him like nine to six. Oh. Field goal kicks the field goal as time runs out, right? Yeah. And 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 Roger makes a statement afterwards. That's their senior year, right? 
Roger made a statement afterwards that, hey, we should pay property tax in, in Tennessee because we own them. Yeah. And, and, and Coach Fuller goes ballistic. Yeah. You know, I can't believe you said that. That's going to be bulletin board material next year, so on and so forth. And Roger's like, not for me, Coach. I'm a senior. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, y'all were but, quite a but, pair but back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Gary, much continued success. We'll do this again very soon. It's good catching up with you. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank, Thank you, Gary. Boy, they had some record-setting offenses back in 89. It was just it was a lot of fun to watch. Hey, what is the latest news about the NFL and the Daytona 500? I'll pass that along to you. In just a minute, you're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire Entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker, who's as roll tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205 790 7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. The chance of showers and a few strong thunderstorms through tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 76. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible by afternoon. The high, 92. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 86 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Thank you. Thank you very much. I found this very interesting, Lars. I really don't see it happening. Uh, But Mark Lamping, Lamping, who is the president of the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going to have a lot of work for their stadium in the next, I think they said, 30 months. And they're actually entertaining the idea of playing some of their NFL games at Daytona International Speedway. Did you see that? I, I don't know. I did not. I, I don't understand how logistically how that would work, given the setup at Daytona. I don't know where you'd put the field. I think you'd have to build some temporary on the other side. Um, on the backstretch? Uh, I think you'd I mean, you make got... use of the grandstands. But, no, I, I don't see either. Bristol, you remember when Virginia Tech, Tennessee? Yeah. There? 
that yeah, made that, sense. That made sense. This this makes no sense. I, this sounds like coming coming from a guy who's never been to Daytona. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I just logistically, I I I just don't see it. I, I don't see where you could put a field and have it close enough to the the, the grandstands that already exist. Yeah, and you got what uh, forty yards of asphalt there. Yeah. And then before you get to grass, and then and you got pit road. I mean, you got pit road, and you have the uh, the road course that goes through the middle of the track. I mean, it, it just—I'm telling you, this is not going to work. <laughs> I, it feels like I've spent about half my life in that infield, and uh, I just—I do not see how this could work. Well, he said it would be an interesting solution, but they are also looking at other possibilities. Uh, playing at Florida or playing at Florida State, you know, playing in Tallahassee or Gainesville. Um, I think that is going to be more likely the situation. I think that uh, they just kind of trolled this in front of Lamping, and he said that'd be interesting. But I found it interesting enough to bring up on the show, so there you have it. But I do remember the uh, the Hokies and the Vols playing, and uh, I think they had 100,000-plus people there. And um well, yeah. I mean, it but but fits. Bristol Bristol's perfect for it. Yeah, exactly. Right, because you just there, it's a it's a bowl, and uh, it uh, you know I've always thought of Bristol when you're coming at it from the outside, it looks like the Roman Coliseum. I mean, it's a modern day Roman Coliseum. It, the, those grandstands just stretch up, 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 and up, uh, almost to the basement of heaven. It goes so high, and uh, and I, I love Bristol. Uh, it's one of my favorite tracks, one of my favorite venues, and it just it, it works there because it's a it's a short track, right? Shortest in in NASCAR, I believe, on the circuit, point uh, five two six miles or something. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and, and so you, obviously they just laid the field out and it fit perfectly and the fans are, are right on top of it. Um, and I'd actually like to see more games at Bristol. Uh, I think it could be cool. I think Bristol holds up to, uh, holds 160 and I don't know what the, the crowd was, but I think it's potentially you could have the biggest crowd ever to watch a, uh, college football game if you filled that up and so uh yeah bristol's a, a, a way to go but uh daytona i mean it would be it's the, like do you think uh alabama and auburn could ever play at talladega no and i guess the one thing that daytona has the talladega does doesn't that's lights but i still don't yeah. even think they, they're not going to get far enough down the line for that to even be a factor and I, t- I tell you what, if uh, if Alabama and Auburn did play at Talladega, well, you know, we could almost do a segment on that. Uh, <laughs> boy, how big. Man, can you imagine the infield the night before that game? Oh, Ooh, my goodness. Oh. Wow. Wow. Oh. And who would play the concert? All right. We're not going to chase that rabbit today. Uh, when we get back on Big Noon Sports, Pete Rhodes, speaking to Alabama, And also a big flip in favor of the Crimson Tide. You're listening to Big Noon Sports.
Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. A town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. More big noon sports coming up. Wednesday, Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. In just a little while, we're going to go to Baltimore and talk Ravens and the NFL and all other kinds of stuff with Bruce Cunningham, former uh, sportscaster here in Alabama. He's now retired and living in Maryland, but really strong ties with the Ravens. And also, uh, how about the Orioles? If you keep it up with baseball, who would have thunk that? But uh, a couple of things I wanted to note. And one is, I think this may have happened, Lars, right after we got off the air yesterday. And so it seems like it's been a while, but it really hasn't. But uh, Georgia got some bad news from five-star safety, Peyton Woodyard. Uh, he flipped Georgia. He's coming to Alabama. Now, this guy's a big-time player. He's from Bellflower, California. Ranks as the number 19 overall player in the nation. 19th. That's according to rivals. Um, he originally committed to Georgia back in January, but posted to Twitter yesterday, Tuesday, that he is now committed to Alabama. So the thing is, you you, you want to say, hey, good news, roll tide, whatever. But, you know, if you flip once, Lars, you can flip again. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a lot of time until uh, pen is put to paper and that commitment is uh, made official. So we'll we'll see, but nonetheless, uh, a, a good day for Alabama, uh, no question. Uh, whenever they go toe to toe with Georgia and come out uh, ahead, that is uh, a very good thing. Um, Matt, did you by chance get a uh, opportunity to watch the Johnny Manziel uh, documentary uh, called yet. Untold Johnny Football. I uh, was able to watch it last night, and I, it was it, it's 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 fascinating. It's utterly fascinating, and there's just little nuggets in there that just are mind-boggling um and i I don't want to give away too much uh and uh but uh just one little thing is uh you know he had people pee in cups for him uh to get past drug tests he uh even was going to uh get his uh his i think is either his grandfather or his father to fake a heart attack so he could get out of taking a drug test. Um, and he uh, just uh, was a, a huge partier. And the documentary revealed 
guess how much game film, like all the guys at at Cleveland and every NFL team, they're issued iPads and uh, what the players aren't told, but they all should know by now is that uh, the, the iPads is, is the playbook and it, uh, it, it uh, goes to, you know, uh, defensive formations you're going to uh, face uh, in, uh, against your upcoming opponent, uh, what the favorable matchups are in those formations, and you know just uh, just the, the basics. And Johnny Min and, and the thing is, the Cleveland coaches, just like all coaches, they can monitor how much time you're spending in your playbook. And and I mentioned this uh, a while back when we were talking about Tom Brady at. Uh, at Tampa and uh, what I learned when I was, you know, doing the reporting for my book, A Season in the Sun, is that week in and week out, Tom spent more time in his playbook than any other player on the roster. And th- that should be somewhat normal, right? Your, your starting quarterback needs to know the playbook better than anyone else. Well, in Cleveland, <laughs> Uh, there would be times that the, the coaches would check in. Okay, how much time has Johnny spent this week on the playbook? Zero. Zero point zero zero hours. I mean, he, he just, he didn't care. He just didn't care. And, um, I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, uh, nuggets in there. And he, he hated everything about Cleveland. He, uh, you know, he was suffering from depression, uh, and he was, uh, you know, drinking an enormous amount. Um, and, but I, I'll say this too. Everybody is, is sort of clapping at how great the documentary is. Well, I think it's only, it's like 72 minutes. And this is, it felt like this needs to be like a three hour or two part. Like there's just so much stuff that they skipped and I, I, or just, you know, just glossed over uh, because the material is so rich. I'm guessing that the producers didn't understand going into it, just how honest Johnny was going to be. And he was incredibly honest. I mean, this was a, this is a warts and all documentary. uh, And what makes it so powerful is Johnny's honesty. And, um, and, and, and the film is, uh, the, the footage is great takes you behind the scenes and I mean I think today like he's he's still struggling uh and the reason that he agreed to participate in this is uh one he I'm sure he got handsomely compensated but but two he wants to you know put put this part of his life behind him you know the the Johnny football uh part of it and um but uh, so again I think it should have been longer. Uh, I think they should have made it a two-part documentary uh, rather than just one. But um, still, it, it's really good, and I I highly recommend it uh, to all all football fans. And they spend a lot of time on that Alabama game, a lot yeah, of time he, because he, he didn't have some nice things to say about Nick Saban, did he? No, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. But. You know, he said that they they had no expectation of winning, 
and and for that just made it made them play really loose I mean and in that game that was the the definition of uh you know sandlot football right we all saw it we were all there uh and I know you and I were there and it was a, a remarkable moment but Johnny just uh everything changed just in that instant where and I I had talked to his mom about this before he walks out of the locker room at Brian Denny and just trying to get to the team bus and it all of a sudden it's like he's Paul McCartney and the Beatles just landed in America I mean it, it and it you can you can even see there's a I think it's the scene of it you can see just almost like the terror on his face like he didn't realize what was about to happen and ever since that game in Tuscaloosa what was the year 2013 maybe um right. yeah ever since that that game that moment like everything kind of went off the rails i mean he already was a a loose cannon and and uh and you know he enjoyed having fun there's just no doubt about it right and uh and look, he even they go back to his high school and he really wasn't expecting to do uh, much in college. He, he, th- he was just hoping to become a starting quarterback somewhere. And kind of at the last moment, A&M offered him a scholarship almost as an afterthought. And uh, then suddenly, uh, you know, he redshirts and then his, his redshirt freshman year. He just catches fire and becomes the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. And um, and you can just see also at the Heisman ceremony, and he says this, like, he, that he'd never been so nervous in his life. And, I mean, he's, like, literally shaking. Uh, but then when he's announced as a winner, he was like, you know, I, I could tell that I finally made my dad proud. And he has a very complicated relationship with his father, uh, not surprisingly. And, um, but Matt, it, it is, it's, 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 it's really good. Again, I wish it was in two parts. I wish they would have kind of taken a deep breath and, and let, let part of it breathe in different, let it breathe in, in different areas. But, um, uh, you know, that would have cost a lot more money to make it into two parts. But, uh, still, what, what a, a fascinating, fascinating documentary. You know, uh, Lars, this all, if I can add here, it makes me give some context, I think, as well. A couple of years ago when we saw Kyler Murray um, sign a contract where in his contract it said you had to watch film. And a lot of us were like, why would they do yeah. that? And, you know, this documentary kind of provided some insight to where we saw how some quarterbacks just don't, I guess. Uh, yeah. It should be called the Manziel Clause here forward. Yeah, seriously. Uh-huh. But um, – you know what? Like, also, um, Texas A&M, I mean, they benefited so much off of Johnny Manziel. Uh, that year that uh, Manziel, he, he didn't make any money when he won the Heisman, right? Uh, but thousands, thousands and thousands of his number two Adidas jersey were sold. But they were able to parlay Texas A&M parlay that into a huge spike in donations to the university and the Texas A&M Foundation raised 740.6 million dollars following his Heisman year 
and that is 300 million more than any one year period in the in the universities of a billion dollars 740 seven, seven, four, seven, four, zero, uh million 740 million 300 million more than any one year period in the university's history and a lot of that money or a good chunk of it was to uh, put into the expansion of Kyle Field Right. And, uh, and now Kyle Field is, uh, seats over a hundred thousand. And, um, they also reported, it was reported that, uh, that Manziel winning the Heisman, uh, by, by some metric, and I don't know what it was, but, uh, they claimed it was worth 37 million in free publicity for the university. Yeah. Okay. And they were able to, uh, attract better professors. Uh, they didn't call me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> aha, uh, attract better professors, attract, uh, a, stu- a higher caliber students. I mean, it, it just, that, it's amazing. And, and we know this, right? From, uh, being around Nick Saban and the impact that Nick Saban has had on the University of Alabama. And, uh, but I, I think, I don't know if there's been one player in college football history whose one season of brilliance on the field had a bigger financial impact on the institution that he played for than Johnny Manziel in his freshman season. But just a a fascinating, fascinating documentary. Cam Newton, maybe. I can think of a few, but we don't want to go into that right now. Let's talk some uh, Major League Baseball, some Orioles, some Alabama football. Uh, we were talking some NFL with uh, our friend Bruce Cunningham coming up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Sports. Tuscaloosa weather. A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. The chance of showers and a few strong thunderstorms through tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 76. Tomorrow, partially sunny. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible by afternoon. The high, 92. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 88 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. And our guest is Bruce Cunningham. Um, Any will remember him in Mobile, Birmingham, and Huntsville as a television sports anchor. That's uh, when I got to know him, and we've remained pretty good friends ever since. And uh, I thought of you last night, Bruce. I'm watching the Oreos and the Strohs, and it's 6-3 in the top of the ninth, and Kyle Tucker, Grand Slam, Orioles lose. Did you yeah. throw anything through your TV set? No, 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 no. Batista hadn't blown a save all year. So you figure, you know, he was going to at some point, and uh, there it was. <laughs> but, you know, they came up in the bottom of the ninth. They had a chance to do something and didn't. But this team is winning so much. That you'll take a loss here and there, you know. Absolutely, it's fun. It's been so long uh, s- since they they've been competitive. They, then they hired away an assistant general manager from the Astros, uh, and, and he came in here and, and gutted the roster and got high draft picks and hit on every one of them. And uh, that's why this return to uh, contention is right in front of us. The guy, Mike Elias, is his name. He's just done a stunning job. It's all based on analytics. It's very very modern. But damn, it works. And that ballpark's starting to fill up again. And it's just a healthy thing all the way around. 
social media has been uh, absolutely yeah, a buzz. Yeah, with, <laughs> with the, yeah, you know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. Uh, for our listeners who may not know, uh, the Orioles play-by-play man, uh, broadcaster Kevin Brown, he was uh, suspended indefinitely because he uh, just simply was stating facts before a game that uh, the Orioles – uh, they were playing the Devil Rays, and uh, the, the Orioles had won as many games at Tropicana Field in 2023 as they had in the previous three years combined. Right. And a graphic showed their struggles, right? And that accompanied uh, Brown's commentary. So that tells you that this is not just uh, uh, Kevin speaking off the cuff. This was thought out, and producers uh, signed off on it. So what is the story here? <laughs> I, I wish I knew. Uh, Kevin's coming back Friday. Uh, they, they've let it be known. They, they kind of have to now. Uh, he's one of the bright young broadcasters in the game. He's 33 years old, and he's in his third year calling Major League Baseball, and he's just terrific. And you're right. They put up a pre-produced full-screen graphic that had that exact thing on it. It was also in the game notes that were up in the press box. And, and for some reason... Uh, the owner, John Angelos, is sitting at home, and he didn't, I guess he didn't like the way it sounded. So, you know, he suspended him. And it's ridiculous. But the big winner in all of this is Kevin Brown. He's already doing work for ESPN. And guess what, guys? It's the last year of his contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I hadn't, I didn't know who Kevin Brown was until all of this. And now every media member and most baseball fans across the country know who Kevin Brown yeah. is. Is, uh, is the Orioles owner typically like this? Is he, uh, well, know, it's a unique situation. <laughs> uh, the, the owner, uh, Peter Angelos <clears throat> is ailing. He's in his, his 90s and he's incapacitated. Um, I, my guess is he's probably got Alzheimer's or dementia or something along those lines. So the brother, he's got two sons, John and Lou, and they took each other to court to fight over who owns this team. John owns the team, and he's young, and, and he's impulsive, and he doesn't always do the smart thing. And to add a little spice to the stew, he owns a home in Nashville, which is Aiken for Major League Baseball. The lease on Camden Yards expired at the end of last year. The Orioles in the state agreed to a one-year, you know, period to, to, you know, get a new deal done, and it hadn't been done yet. And we're sitting here in August, so there's a lot of conspiracy theories swirling around that. I don't know. I just know that the team's playing great on the field, you know, and and, and I, I hate that anything's detracting from that. But a free Kevin Brown chant came up during the game last night. <laughs> Orioles got the best record awesome. in the American League. They got the Houston Astros, who were really good coming in. And that's what these guys are hearing down on the field. Free Kevin Brown. You know, you noted this in a text the other day that um, Angelos let John Miller go. He did. For goodness sakes. Well, that How was a combination was thing. They had a difference of opinion. He wanted John Miller to be a cheerleader. And, you know, you guys have heard John Miller. He's too much of a pro to do that. So he tried to accommodate Peter Angelos as much as he could. But the part that doesn't get told a lot is that John is from San Francisco and that San Francisco Giants radio job was open at the time. So he had a place to jump. I, I don't know the sequence of events, but I know he left here hating Peter Angelos. So it's weird that it's it's repeated itself, you know, in successive generations. It's kind of depressing. <clears throat> but again, I would direct you back to the field where everything is going yeah. outstanding. You know, 
Is it really is it really possible that the Orioles could leave Baltimore and that absolutely gorgeous stadium of Camden oh, Yards? I, I mean, that just uh, and, and you know, it's it's one of the most iconic. Here, yeah, people around Baltimore. This is what you got to understand: are scarred to the bone, to their soul, by the Colts getting pulled out of here in 1984. So there's there's everybody's is up all the time, and yeah, there's a chance. You know, of all the proposed expansion cities, Nashville is the most aggressive. Uh, they really want to get it done. I don't know where they're going to come up with $3 billion to build a state-of-the-art baseball park. You know, I don't know where that's going to come from. Uh, but there is, and then John Angelus happens to own a house in Nashville. So that gets the talk going. It's always possible. It's pro sports. <clears throat> Nothing sacred, you know? Uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> I, I hate to think that it would happen, uh, I, I love that ballpark with all my heart, and I would hate to see it sitting there empty, but I wouldn't move anything out at this point. If you're suspending Kevin Brown for reading the full screen, uh, then I guess anything can happen in Oriland, you know? <laughs> oh, my. Wow, what a situation, man. Aren't you happy you asked? Maybe- <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine Baltimore without the Orioles. I, I mean, can't either. It's, it's no, it is criminal, and I don't, you know, in my heart of hearts, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, if Nashville's that serious, they could call Tampa and get the raise tonight, yeah. you know? Uh, so I, I don't see it happening. But, you know, there, there's that talk. Um, they want to build a village around Camden Yards uh, like they have in Atlanta. You know, that thing they built around their the new battery. stadium. Yeah. yeah. Problem is, there's no place to put it. Yeah. And I think that's what's holding up the negotiations. You know, there's an interstate highway on one side. There's a four-lane highway on the other uh, to the south. M&T Bank Stadium can't move that, you know. So I don't know. But that's, I think, what's holding up the lease. So we got all this swirling. And, and meanwhile, the team just keeps winning just about every night, you know. Hey, let's move to the NFL. Uh, Good idea. We saw We saw yesterday... Yeah, you know, that really depressed me, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm telling you, it's awful. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, NFL, uh, Jackson, the Ravens, they're going to yeah. open Monday Night Football at Washington. Just yeah. give us a quick rundown on how things are going with Baltimore Ravens. Well, you know, Lamar got his money, so he's happy. And, and camp seems to be going pretty well. They got a new offensive coordinator in here, Todd Munkin. They brought him in from Georgia. And the idea was to help out Lamar. And so they, they got, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. They drafted Zay Flowers number one. And then last year's number one, Rashad Bateman is back from an injury. So it looks like the passing game's in pretty good shape. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, their running back, is holding out. He's in the last year of his contract. And, you know, that's one of the stories in the NFL now is, the devaluation of the running back position. None of those guys are getting paid anymore. So he's sitting out. I don't know how they're going to run the football, but uh, they got a lot of people for Lamar to throw to. Uh, I think the best thing they did was uh, last year during the season, they got Roquan Smith from the Bears. You know, that guy's not in Ray Lewis's category, but he's all pro, you know, and he's 26, and they brought him in here and signed him long term. So, I, you know... One of the curses you have in Baltimore is that not only do the Orioles have to play in the National or American League East, you know, the Ravens are in the AFC North. So, you know, there's always Pittsburgh and now Cincinnati, you know, it's uh, it's always a struggle. But I think they're going to be really good. I, I think they're playoff caliber if everybody stays healthy. 
Offensive line is sound. The secondary looks good. You know, Marlon Humphrey's a star here now. You know, you remember him. And uh, it, it it's all looking good. It's all looking positive. They open up uh, against the Eagles uh, Saturday night. But there's no bigger waste of time than a, a preseason NFL game. You know, the, the, no regulars play anymore. You know, they, they just sit out the entire preseason. So it's not like you're going to see Lamar Jackson take four or five snaps Saturday. No, he's not even going to dress. So it's Tony Saragusa, the late Tony Saragusa, had the best line I ever heard about preseason games. <laughs> the Ravens had won one, and Goose said, all it means is the guys that ain't going to make their team are worse than the guys that aren't going to make our team. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that sums up. That sums up uh, preseason. I mean, I mean, it's really for like you know the the back five guys on the roster and the practice squad, right? Yeah, or that undrafted free agent that's trying to force his way on the roster. There's always those stories, but you know it's kind of isolated. I mean, the Ravens are in such good shape; they probably only have about six or seven spots on the roster. You know, and that includes the rookies they drafted. So it's looking pretty good here it really is and they're not they're not boastful they're not they're just going out to work every day and you know we'll see what it looks like saturday night with the backups but i'm interested to see this new offense too problem you know with being lamar's offensive coordinator is lamar has such a unique skill set that it's almost hard to coach that you know like like uh the receivers the receiver runs your route and then you look back at lamar and see if he's scrambling or running and then you figure out what you're going to do after that it's why Lamar throws so many passes to his tight ends. You know, he just you don't want to you don't want to rein that in. You don't want to make him a pocket pass. You want to make him be exactly what he is. Uh, but that's not always easy to coach. So I'm interested to see that too as as we get closer to the season. The Ravens signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a yeah. really big contract, one year, $15 million, uh, coming off, uh, knee injury suffered in the Super Bowl, uh, two Super Bowls ago. Yeah. Um, and then he did come out and say, by the way, I'm a Bengals fan and this rubbed all of us <laughs> a wrong way or salt in the wound, maybe, uh, that he would have gone for 250 against the Bengals had he not gotten hurt and the, uh-huh. and the Rams would have won the Super Bowl 42 to 17, a very specific, yeah. uh, number that he gave. But how has he looked in, in camp? Does he look, uh, like the, the Odell Beckham Jr. of old? You know, he really does. Um, the um, offensive coordinator, Bunkin, the offensive coordinator, said the other day that he's been, and this is a quote, he said he's been uncoverable. Wow. You know, they, they, all the all the corners and all the safety, he's just, he's killing everybody, and he looks great. Uh, he had a lot of time to rehab that thing. He's 30 years old, which is a little bit old for a receiver, but not for a, you know, a, a receiver of that caliber. So the, the hopes are high. I mean, he's having a great camp. They They all are. You know, and there's no dissension. Uh, there's no real injury problems. It's just, it's just all good. And I can't wait for the season to get started. The funny thing is, though, usually here in Baltimore, by the time late July and August rolls around and training camp opens, nobody pays attention to the Orioles at all. So, so <laughs> now we're trying to juggle all this. You know, it's a good problem to have, but it, we're not used to this around here, this prosperity, you know? How how is the offense going to look uh just in terms of uh, being different because as you mentioned uh Lamar Jackson has more uh skill around him at the skill positions than he's ever had in his right. entire NFL career and now with, with Munkin obviously but how's it going to look different than from last year 
I think, you know, and this is a throwback, when you're Matt's age and my age, I think you it's going to kind of look like those old sprint-out offenses, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still going to keep the RPA in there, but I think they're going to put some stuff in there to let Lamar roll out and look downfield. I, I think they're going to try to do that. Uh, that That's what I've been seeing out of, out of uh, training camp. But then again, you know, in training camp, people are there every day. They let fans in every day, so they're not going to really show you a whole lot. But it just seems like there are more pass plays that, that depend on Lamar's feet in a way that you haven't seen, and that's in the structure of a of a sprint out, you know. And, and, and it, yeah, I think it could work. I don't know. We'll see. But you know, as a Bengals fan, here's my question, Bengals fan: <laughs> Where's the money coming from to pay Burrow? Oh, it's coming. Uh, that's he's going to be the organization gonna, uh, in the NFL. You know this, right? Well, that is a, uh, I hate to say it, that's a little bit of a tired argument, but, uh, I, 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 I understand, I understand where you're coming from, but they are not just going to pay Joe Burrow, uh, they are also going to pay T. Higgins, and, uh, the, both those guys are going to be locked in for the long yeah. term. Uh, the money is coming from, you know, they, they, they sold the naming rights to the stadium, uh, to pay core. Uh, Joe Mixon just took a huge pay cut. I saw that, yeah. Um, and, uh, and they're, they're restructuring different contracts and, and Joe Burrow will, he will be the highest paid player in the NFL here shortly. Very. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, they're, uh, you know, they just re-signed Logan Wilson, uh, who is a, a, the, probably their best linebacker. Um, they, they know that they have something very special and, yeah. uh, they're yeah. doing everything they can to keep that nucleus together. But you know what? The Ravens just, they, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it, even with Huntley playing, right? Like the yeah. Ravens had the Bengals on the ropes in the playoffs. And yeah. if not for that, uh, miracle play, uh, the 99 yard fumble return, uh, by Sam Hubbard, the Ravens probably win that game. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's so physical. Just, it, and every divisional game, I, I, and I think Cleveland's going to be improved this year. And I think they're going to be better. And, and tell me if you do this, because I do this. Uh, I write Pittsburgh off every year. Every year I say, no, nah, they're done. They're done. And then guess what? You know, they're not done. <laughs> what, do you think of, what do you think of Kenny Pickett? Pickett? Yeah, what do you think I, of Kenny Pickett? i tell you Pickett? what. The, the second game they played last year was in December, and it was here. And uh, Pickett, with less than two minutes to go, marched him all the way down the field and won the ball game. You know, as a rookie on his bitter arch rival's home field, that impressed me. And it, I kind of thought that the whole NFL might have said, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, when that happened, oh, crap, Pittsburgh's got a quarterback. But I, it, it, this division could go four different ways, seriously, right now. That's the way I'm seeing it until I'm proven wrong. Hey, uh, we'll let you go after this one. Go into a little bit more detail about Marlon Humphrey and is he beloved in Baltimore? Yeah, yeah, Marlon, uh, Marlon's a playful soul, you know, and, uh, he, uh, he's a great player, but he reaches out to the community a lot. He's very active on social media. He's joking around all the time. And uh, he, he, he represents the club very, very well, and they like him. And that's why they gave him that big long-term contract. But, Matt, just to take it back to your, uh, the era that we shared, three years ago, I think it was, Marlon was one of three guys on the Ravens roster whose fathers I covered. <laughs> oh, yeah, Michael Pierce, uh, uh, defensive yeah, lineman. I, I, think, I think you can make the, 
Uh, I think you can make the argument that Michael Marlin Pierce, he was Mobile, Murphy High School, and his father, Michael Sr., was a great running back, ended up going to Tulane. I, I don't know why he chose Tulane, but he's got some kind of Ph.D., so I think he was a pretty good student. And then the other one was Orlando Brown Jr., you know, who's now with the Bengals. Uh, so that, that you want to talk about a shock? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> does, uh, does, does, does Bobby Humphrey uh, come around much? Do you see him? I don't see him very much at all. I, I always look for him, um, but I, I haven't seen him. Uh, you know, because that was, as Matt will tell you, that's when he and I were covering, you know, the tide real close. And Humphrey was a great player. If he hadn't blown out that knee, you know, uh, he, he would have had a nice long career. Yeah, he might be Alabama's all-time leading rusher if he played his senior year. Yeah, he was he was he, terrific. He close to no it point. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just to give you a little bit more perspective since we're going old school old school on each other here uh, a little earlier we had on gary hollingsworth wow uh, and and he has children through college he's an empty nester oh man dude let me go sit down <laughs> yeah. you know what i i read uh, i think it was rick carley put something up uh, about him he beat cancer huh hollingsworth yeah he had throat yeah. cancer yeah uh, Yep, he sure did. I've been touring that up with him. We'll have to have him back on. All right. Uh, great stuff as always, Bruce. Uh, My pleasure. Anytime you need me, you know where to find me. Yep. Yeah, thank I you did. so much, Bruce. This is All great. Right. Good stuff. Right. Thank you, Bruce. Sure thing. So uh, talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bruce Cunningham, who's uh, he's still active in the media, but uh, you could say he's officially retired, but uh, he's not. I got to know Bruce really, really well. When we were both hosting the Jerry Lewis telepods, uh, he did the version in Baltimore. I did the version in Birmingham for several, several years. And they would send us to these unbelievable weekend retreats at the Hollywood Hilton. And that's about all I got to say about that. Aha! Uh-huh. When we get back, I got to talk about Pete Rose being in Alabama and speaking to the team. What's up with that? And I got to talk about Tumor's Corner. Oh, I want some lemonade. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. That it is. 
as, uh, man, got another show. It's just flown by. Thank you, Bruce Cunningham. Appreciate that very, very much. I saw this story last night, and you want to talk about going, what? What? I mean, I did that aloud. Pete Rose spoke to the Alabama football team yesterday about what else? Gambling. Now, this in itself, Lars, is fraught with irony. I mean, with the Brad Bohannon thing, the betting on baseball, uh, the bet was placed at the Great American Ballpark where Pete Rose played. Uh, then the name of the street that runs in front of the place where the guy put the bets called Pete Rose Way. Um, and then there's just the fact that uh, Rose is, I think, and, and I'm, I'm a little jaded here. I'm not a Pete Rose guy. I really never have been. But uh, he doesn't follow the line of characters that Saban normally brings in, like a Michael Phelps. Well, of course, Michael Phelps is smoking pot. So, But uh, then you had Ray Lewis, Kobe Bryant. Uh, am, I, am I showing my bias towards Pete Rose by reacting like this, or was this a good move? Oh, I think it's a good move. You know, uh, I think Coach Saban... He wants to bring in people who have been, you know, great, people who have fallen from greatness and how do you respond to people who have made mistakes and but but more importantly with Pete Rose, I mean he's the all time hit leader, right? I mean he and this just the uh the concentration it took for him day after day after day, you know, season after season to keep performing at a high level. And uh, I think certainly Pete Rose has a, has a lot to offer. And all these different speakers that Alabama brings in, uh, I know that different schools do this all around the country, but I guarantee you that Alabama brings in uh, like the highest level of speakers. And, um, and, and that is just... I think, you know, just one more benefit of playing for Coach Saban is the fact that you get access to all of these people who have uh, have been successful in one way or another or have overcome something one way or another. And uh, it just, uh, again, I think it just adds to the enrichment of the entire college experience when you play at Alabama. So are you, are you surprised that... Uh, yeah, By a this? little bit, and, and it's it's mainly because uh, I never felt like Rose was very remorseful for what he did. The evidence that he did is overwhelming, but, uh, you know, I think he's a guy of questionable character. Uh, maybe they can learn from a guy of questionable character, but I have seen nothing since that first started after he was a manager of the Reds to tell me that this guy's changed much. Uh, maybe that's Saban's point. I don't know. I would have gotten Calvin Ridley, but he's in another camp, so he couldn't have been there. <laughs> but um, And I will openly admit this. I'm not a Rose guy, and that probably jades my opinion of this move just a little bit. But I'll tell you what, Saban is very, very smart. Jeez, how many times have we said that? He's getting in front of this gambling deal. He's going to try and make a point before something blows up. Whereas other places, and including Alabama, it blew up first. But uh, Nick, once again, is out in front of the herd. Hey, I want to talk about Lemonade and Tumor's Corner when we get back. All right, Lars? Let's do it. wish I had some right now. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. 
Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Can we point nine Tuscaloosa weather? A mix of sun and clouds this afternoon. The chance of showers and a few strong thunderstorms through tonight. The high today ninety. Tonight's low seventy six. Tomorrow partially sunny. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible by afternoon. The high ninety two. I'm James Spann on the ABC thirty three forty Weather Center on Tide one hundred point nine. It's ninety degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Wrapping up the Hump Day edition, Wednesday of Big Noon Sports. Lars Matt, good to have Justin back. Lars, before we get into the oak trees and Harvey Updike and all that kind of stuff, it's a, it's a really good story. Have you ever had the lemonade from Tumor's Drug, the lemonade from Tumor's Drugs at Tumor's Corner at Auburn? I have not. You, that's that's bucket list stuff, and it's one of those bucket list items that is really really easy to achieve. My uh, my daughter and her children went with her husband to Auburn. I guess it was a week ago. They had a special deal for some of the boosters and alumni, and they actually got to meet Hugh Freeze. Uh, got a picture of my kids, my grandchildren with them. But uh, then the, the next picture that I was sent by my daughter was. Matt, uh, our grandchild, uh, Ella Grace, standing in front of Tumors with this big cup of uh, of lemonade, almost as tall as she is. And I've had it, and uh, there's a reason why everybody brags about it. It's fantastic. I don't know if you're a lemonade guy, but I drink it all the time. I love it. I, I love limeade. But anyway, you need to put that on your bucket list, and we can do it in a day. <laughs> um Okay, so do you know why or the tradition of how it started of rolling Tumor's Corner? Uh, at one time I did. Right now my answer is no. <laughs> All right, so in, in 1972, it goes back to 72. Oh, it's pun, uh, pun. Uh, Tiger's running back named uh, Terry Henley, who we happen to know, he promised to, quote, Beat the number two, unquote, out of second-ranked Alabama. 
<laughs> and lo and behold, minutes after the Tigers beat Alabama 17-16, Auburn fans gathered at Toomer's Corner at the Oaks, <laughs> and they uh, hurled rolls of toilet paper into the Oaks. And so rolling Toomer's Corner has been a revered tradition ever since. And uh, in 2013, I did a uh, cover story on uh, in December of 2013 on the two Auburn miracles that year. The, the prayer in Jordan Hare when they beat uh, Georgia at the last second on that long touchdown pass. I was tipped by the Georgia safety. Uh, and then also the kick six. And I went, uh, I, I didn't know how to lead the story. And uh, so I just, I went down to Auburn and uh, I went into the Walmart there and thinking that uh, they sell a lot of toilet paper. And I ended up talking to the uh, manager of that Walmart in Little Auburn, Alabama. And it turned out for the, the month of the previous month, right, that uh, included the, the victories over uh, Georgia and Alabama, that that Walmart had sold more toilet paper than any Walmart in the world, which is amazing. Right. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, people would just go into that Walmart before games and get so much toilet paper uh, that, again, it, it was uh, they sold more toilet paper than any Walmart in the world. And uh, and now uh, it was just announced uh, yesterday that uh, Auburn fans will once again be able to celebrate victories by rolling the oaks at, at Tumor's Corner with toilet paper. And um, they had been Auburn fans have been asked not to do this since the uh, trees were replanted in February of 2017. And uh, they needed to, you know, they. They needed to grow and get stronger, and and uh, and again, the, the trees were removed after um, uh, they were poisoned, as we know, by Harvey Updike in, in 2010. And uh, the two live oaks they were planted in 2015, but then they were uh, damaged by a, a fire while celebrating a win over LSU. But okay, this is a long way of saying that now Auburn fans are going to be able to roll Tumor's Corner. And I, I and I've thought about this a little bit. In terms of college football traditions, this has got to be the most unique in the country. Would you agree with that? Uh, the only other one, I love it. I, I think it's terrific. And yeah, I would probably vote it number one. But the only and it's other really one cool. Can... By the, by the way, sorry, I just don't mean to interrupt. Uh, it, it is really cool to see. Like uh, I, I, there have been many times after big games down there where you know I'm on deadline and I'm I was usually the last guy in the press box and then I'd drive out and I'd always just want to go past Tumor's Corner. And uh, at like you know two three in the morning on um, before I headed back to Birmingham, and uh, it was just it was almost I don't know magical. It's, pretty. it's almost it's pretty. Pre yeah, it's pretty. It is really pretty, uh, especially just when it's it's quiet and there's nobody there. It's. Uh, I don't know. In, in Nebraska, we call it getting TP'd, uh, and we would, uh, you know, uh, my house got TP'd a lot right? <laughs> when I was growing we just up. Call it rolling somebody's yard. Oh yeah, we called call it TP'd. TP'd. Yeah. Rolling. Yeah. Man, I was good at that. 
<laughs> I had a little bit of an arm, and, man, I could hit the top of the oaks with no problem. But uh, going back to your question about traditions, one that always pops to mind is, is it West Virginia that burns couches? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good one. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I think West it is. Virginia, my, maybe Virginia Tech, but I really think it's – it sounds like more of a West Virginia thing than a Virginia Tech. And, man, I'm going to get a, uh, a lot of West Virginia fans backed <laughs> off at me. But, uh, no, I've always liked their tradition. Didn't they put, for a while, didn't they try and put up, like, a wooden frame that had some wires across it that people could still roll and kind of get a thrill out of it? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't think that I don't think that was real successful. I think they no. rolled something somewhere else some other time. So you know that uh, you know first big victory, uh, Tumors Oaks will be the site of a big party this year uh, down in Auburn, Alabama. And Hugh um, Freeze will show up. I'm predicting that. I bet he will. Yeah, show, show up, up with a uh, with a, a roll of toilet paper in both hands. And he should have like a, a bullhorn in, in with him and, you know, address the crowd. Uh, that would be a great way to win over the fan base. It's but a great scene. It's just, yeah, it's it is. Really, it's, it's unbelievable. And yeah. I know we broadcast mostly to Tuscaloosa where the tide is king. And we understand that. But that's pretty cool, too. Yes. Uh, always have. And you know what? At the beginning of the game, I think they have one of the most incredible traditions. And the War Eagle comes screaming in. Man, that's I don't know. They may have that the is best cool. beginning. They must have the they might have the best beginning and end to a football game. Yeah, no, that is that that is really cool. I remember the first time I saw it, I was just uh, I was blown away, uh, and it, you need to see it in person, right? Like television doesn't do it justice, and just how excited the fans get, and uh, it, it's just it's a great atmosphere. I mean, and, and Brian Denny is a great atmosphere too. But uh, Auburn uh, is uh, it, it's a lot of fun to uh, to cover uh, a game there, and uh, it's also fun, you know. Uh, in the last few years, I've, I've developed some friends. Uh, I've gotten some friends who uh, go to games, and then you know I've been able to experience the whole tailgating. But I will say, I don't think the tailgating there's tailgating at the quad. I mean, the, the quad is it, it rules. It, 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 it is great. It is great. Oh. It is. It is. It is one of the most special scenes in, in all of sports. Uh, in the United States is uh, the the tailgating, especially before like you know a, a seven o'clock kickoff against a big uh, rival, uh, or even a three o'clock kickoff. I mean, I remember when you know you and I were just talking about uh, when President Trump was uh, there for the LSU game, and there were just so many uh, dignitary. I mean, so many you know uh, athletic icons were there. And, uh, and important people, including the President of the United States and, and just, uh, and I also remember the game in 2011 that, uh, Alabama lost, or excuse me, 
Yeah, Alabama lost nine to six. Is that right? Uh, yes, they lost nine to six in the, like the game of the century, lost in overtime. And uh, I remember talking to a, a just a, a Tuscaloosa police officer after the game, and he estimated to me that there were uh, about a hundred and fifty thousand people tailgating before the game who didn't even have tickets. Yep. Right. So you're talking about. Uh, I don't know, 250,000 total people there, uh, or, or so in that neighborhood, uh, maybe even more than that, that were just sort of wanted to be a part of the entire scene. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's so special. And I know like every listener in Tuscaloosa is more intimately aware of that than I am. Uh, other good traditions that I think of, the Grove at Ole Miss is fabulous. Yes. If you really want the best food uh, for tailgating, just wander through outside Death Valley Tiger Stadium. Oh, man. Uh, they got that cold beat of beer and some jambalaya. Um, it's pretty incredible. And, and I, folks, folks know, you know, uh, I'm, my biggest rival in the SEC is I, I love Alabama beating Tennessee. I've made no bones about that. But when they run through the tee, through the checkered board, orange and white end zones, and onto the field. That's pretty cool, too. What do they do at Nebraska? We only got half a second here, so real quick, what's what's the kind of the tradition at Nebraska before the game? Uh, a lot of people march in with the band and uh, just walk in with the band, and uh, everybody's drinking red beer, tomato juice and beer. It's a big deal there. Uh, and having runzas. As we talked about. Yeah, now those sandwiches are good. Yeah, and then after the game, win or lose, uh, the Nebraska fans will give a standing ovation to the opponent as they go into the uh, visitors' locker room. Yeah, uh, I witnessed that. It'll put yeah. Up in my hey, we got to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 22 hours, another edition of Big Noon Sports. Buckner here for Tuscaloosa.